Y Group invites all AEC industry leaders to the 2024 AEC Small Business and Entrepreneurship Forum, the premier event for small firms in the AEC sector. Experience innovative strategies and insights on May 21st, crafted by Zweig Group's industry experts. Engage in keynotes and interactive sessions focused on recruitment, retention, and business growth. Join Zweig Group for this unique networking opportunity and take your business to new heights. Secure your spot today and be part of the AEC industry's future. Visit ZweigGroup.com for more information. The Zwei Group team looks forward to welcoming you. Welcome to the Zweig Letter Podcast, putting architectural, engineering, planning, and environmental consulting advice and guidance in your ear. Zweig Group's team of experts have spent more than three decades elevating the industry by helping AEP and environmental consulting firms thrive. And these podcasts deliver invaluable management, industry, client, marketing, and HR advice directly to you, free of charge. The Zweig Letter Podcasts, elevating the design industry one episode at a time. Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and I'm excited to be with you today, as I always am, uh, we have a great group of folks here that uh, have decided to join us on the podcast to share a little bit about their organization and some of the unique things that they're doing right in the great metropolis of New York City. And uh, that organization is Mancini Duffy. And I'm sitting here with the triumvirate of leadership from Mancini Duffy. And that would be Christian Giordano, who is the president, Bill Mandara Jr., who is the CEO and Bolanli williams Ali, who is the CFO of Mancini Duffy. Good afternoon, folks. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Very good, thanks. Very good. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Well, we certainly want to get things started. And I was appreciative of somebody reaching out to us to say, hey, you really need to get the folks from Mancini Duffy on the podcast because they are doing some unique things in the design industry specifically from an architectural firm standpoint, um, Mancini Duffy, for those of you that don't know, has been around for more than a century. It's a hundred plus year old design firm, and uh, they have gone through what I will term, and, and maybe they term it to thoughtful leadership transition and transformation over the past several years. And uh, these three individuals that uh, you're going to hear today have been instrumental in that change and in that transformation. And so we thought it would be great to have them come on the podcast and just share a little bit about their experiences, tell us a little bit about their background, and help us have a better understanding of who Mancini Duffy is and where they're going as a design firm. And more importantly, where do they think the design industry is going, especially as it relates to architectural firms? So listen, I'd, I'd love for you guys just to share your, your origin stories. And I'm, you know, I'm a guy, so I'm just going to say ladies first. So Bolanley. William Zolli, uh, CFO, if you wouldn't mind just sharing your your quick origin story with us, and then I'll get to the guys right after you. Yes, sure. So once again, thank you for having us. We're really excited and happy to be here. As Randy said, my name is Bolanli Williams-Oli. 
very non-traditional path to CFO, built my entire career within the AEC industry by chance. So I did not study finance or accounting or anything architecture related. I studied math and ended up looking for a job when I first uh, was graduating and stumbled upon an, a job listing in an architecture firm. My connection to the industry was a technical drawing class I took in high school. And so that essentially led me on this now 15-year path, working my way up from a junior project accountant to now CFO. Mind blown, mind blown. Lots of things happened along the way. Very early career crisis where I went and ended up getting another master's in education and policy, which is one of my passions. But then about five years ago, got a phone call from Christian Giordano saying he was, you know, assembling a new team at Mancini and if I would love to come and join to run the finance group, which I did. So I joined as controller within the year. The next year I became CFO and then the following year became one of the owners. And here we are now. Wow. I love hearing stories like that. I mean, I've been in this industry. I, I know I don't look that old, but I've been in this industry since the 90s. And this industry has changed tremendously. And I don't know that I would have heard a narrative like yours 15, 20 years ago. And, and some of you, I mean, Bill, you've got some gray hair too. So you can probably concur with me on that. And, and yeah, Christian, we're probably a similar event. <laughs> right. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that I, I appreciate you sharing that. And, and uh, I certainly want to dig in a little bit more about your experience transitioning from controller into CFO and into what you guys are all about right now as a design firm, but then also as a thought leader in this space. So thank you so much for sharing that. Bill, do you want to go next? Sure. So um, unlike Bola, I actually had a pretty traditional path forward. My entire family since uh, coming here about a, from Italy about a century ago had been in the construction industry in one way or another. Most importantly, my dad, who was a general contractor. So since I was probably a zygote, it was, you know, you're going to be an architect, you're going to do what you're going to do. And it's always, it was always just a thing. So that's kind of what I did. And obviously, you know, I did the music parallel to that. But um, yeah, pretty traditional. Went to a high school, drawing classes, the whole nine yards, went to architectural college, had a job that I was at for about 10 or 11 years, had an opportunity to get out of there and kind of run my own uh, office in New Jersey for a New York City firm. By the way, grew up in the exotic land here of northern New Jersey. And then I had an opportunity and I, I worked for this firm and developed a small little office and it did great until the world kind of ended in the fall of 2008. And that firm was then acquired by Mancini Duffy. And it was kind of a ham-handed acquisition, quite frankly, because the only it was just me and a bunch of furniture that was left over. And the furniture, actually, we just got rid of it when we moved our office. So I'm officially the only, the only relic of that company now. But when I first came, I actually wow, had no funny. interest in staying there. Yeah, it's, it's funny because it's true. <laughs> yeah, I had no interest in, in staying at that firm at Mancini at the time, nor, you know, being at that firm until I met, you know, the guy who's in the, in the square next to me on the screen over here, Christian, who uh, we, we actually met about a couple of days before he joined the firm. And I was like, hey, he's a pretty cool guy. And then we became quick friends and uh, he convinced me not to go. No, I like that. <laughs> here we are. Those are good stories. Yeah, I mean. And it's interesting like that. You, you were like an acquisition of one, right? <laughs> so one and some furniture. Well, it, it was like 50. It was 50 and, and a whole bunch of stuff and, you know, and two offices. And yeah, it's, it's just done a little, you know. Wow. Interesting. That's an interesting story. So they should, they should write that in Tales of M&A. So 
Christian, <laughs> the un, 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 chapter and four, what not to do. <laughs> right, right, right. Christian, you want to go last? Sure. Why not? Um, yeah. So again, Randy, thanks for having us for sure. Yeah. So my path's actually pretty similar to Bill's in terms of uh, traditional architectural education. You know, I always wanted to be an architect as a little kid. I went to the University of Miami School of Architecture in Florida and then wanted to really, I wanted to move to Los Angeles and kind of work for some of the star architects that were really you know, out there at the time, which was Frank Gehry and Tom Main. And so I, I got a, um, was able to go to UCLA for graduate school, uh, where I got a master's in architecture as well, and, and was able to intern and work for you know, both those firms and kind of got that out of my system, but really saw sort of how a really super high functioning design firm works. And then I, I made a call back to New York City, which is really where you know, I'm from New Jersey, but always wanted to work in New York City. And I remember I called my uh, person that I'd worked for in Miami, who also had an office in New York and said, hey, I'd like to come back and work in New York. And he was kind enough to give me a job. And I started my career at a firm called Swanky Hayden Connell, where I worked for about five years and actually met my wife there as well. And then transitioned over to a firm called HLW International, a big powerhouse corporate architecture firm with many offices. And that's where I met Bola. And ultimately, you know, kind of worked my way up there to run that office, to uh, work on a lot of international work, all the while kind of having this entrepreneurial idea that I would one day go out on my own, start my own firm or some combination of the two. And then when the Mancini opportunity came along, that's what I did. I switched over to Mancini from HLW and was given the opportunity to start to run the firm. Obviously, met Bill and some other great people there and realized, oh, kind of a cool young crowd. Maybe we have something special. And then, you know, I would say to the credit of the, the leadership that was there before us, they kind of got out of the way. They let us, you know, begin to transform the firm. And we can get into kind of how that happened. But at the end of the day, you know, it was, you know, we took over that firm and we created a different culture. And from there, brought that into all the other initiatives and entrepreneurial things that we do today. Yeah. You know, and I think it's interesting. And, and, and that was, um, that was Ralph Mancini was who originally offered you a job right there at Mancini Duffy. Is that correct? Yeah. Ralph was uh, one of the first people that I had met. I had uh, this other guy, Tony Sharippa, who worked at the firm, but Ralph, you know, kind of recruited me. He got my name from, from another person in the industry named Ray Arnold, who, uh, ran or still runs a firm called VVA, a project management owner's rep firm. And I met Ralph. And I tell you, from the moment I met Ralph, I loved him. He was probably one of the most charismatic, unique individuals. He did not fit the typical architect mold whatsoever, was all about his clients, was all about promoting his firm, his people, and really just a force of nature when he entered the the room or the building or or even walked on the street. He was a very, very recognizable character. So it sounds like it wasn't a difficult decision for you to move over from HLW to Mancini Duffy. I mean, given the infectious nature of Ralph Mancini. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love hearing that. Well, you know, it's funny because Zweig Group has been in this industry. I think Mark Zweig started the company in 88 in his garage. I don't know what it is about garages and startups, but there's just something there <laughs> when it comes to that. And, uh, you know, and I can remember it's the carbon um, monoxide. It's got to be something and that that's actually a really good point. So, 
you know, but Mark, when he started the company, one of the things I remember him always talking about was his desire to help firm leaders kind of get out of their own way as they start to create an organization that can exist beyond them, right? And so when you look at design firms nowadays, sometimes design firms are such a cult of personality that it's hard for those leaders to kind of get out of their own way and allow for a, what I would call a peaceful transition. That's kind of overused right now, but a peaceful transition, if you will, from from one generation to the next in terms of firm leadership. And it sounds like, and, and again, I don't know Ralph, I know people that know Ralph and, and speak very highly of him, but it sounds like he understood what a real transition, a good quality transition looks like in the design industry space for an architecture firm. You know, he kind of held that close to his vest and acted upon that as he sought out different leaders to be a part of what he envisioned Mancini Duffy to be in the future. Is that, does that sound about right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Ralph, you know, Ralph actually retired in 2007 when his wife got sick and he had sold the firm to Tony Sharippa and Dina Frank and a few others. And they had held that, you know, kept the firm going and actually grew the firm substantially until the financial crisis at that time. But Ralph had the foresight to really see that the firm needed to go through another transition. And that's kind of where we all came in at that point. We were, you know, life's about sort of being at the right place at the right time. That definitely was, you know, our case for sure. At the time, you know, Mancini was coming out of that 2008 recession. And Ralph kind of spearheaded us getting in there and taking over. And again, I think what made him unique was he was about the people and the culture of the firm, right? It was all about, you know, kind of who worked there, having fun at work, not taking yourself too seriously, doing really good design work. And that was something that for me, and I know for Bill, really, you know, was very clear. We like doing that too. That was part of our, you know, we don't want to be a super corporate firm. We want to have fun. We want to do all those great things and push boundaries and do great design and you know, have great relationships with our clients. And that was Ralph, I would say, of all the his legacy, I think that was one of his main legacies. Yeah. And sure. so how did you guys kind of marry each of each of you? Like Christian, you have a unique design background experience. Bill, you have a unique design background experience. And then, I mean, how did you kind of, you know, merge those two together in terms of your bringing your strengths to the table to accentuate what Mancini Duffy had already been doing in the industry? So like for the two of us, it actually works out quite well, um, we actually, because, you know, I, I've really been more on the technical project architect manager. I, I always said I was never really a quote unquote project manager as much as I was an architect who managed projects, if that makes any sense. But, you know, my background was always more on the technical end, the right detailing, making sure it works, understanding that and, you know, some design stuff here and there, but not as much. So like, it actually works out quite well with Christian where he's more, you know, he's a super talented designer. So from an architectural standpoint, it really, we just kind of mesh together well. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, without, you know, Bill and I are truly a perfect complement to one another. I mean, I, Bill knows this, if there's a technical question that comes up, I probably start sweating <laughs> and I, you know, I, I'm not sure I can answer that kind of thing. And I immediately get Bill involved. And Bill is able to, you know, no problem, come to the table with all the right answers and, and figure it out. And then on my end, you know, I'm, I can speak the design language that needs to be spoken. I can kind of, let's say, 
play both sides of the fence when it comes to that. Talk to the clients about design in a practical way, and then talk to the designers in a very, let's call it designery way. And I'm able to kind of get the most out of both the client and the designers at the same time to hopefully push the the project forward and and be a bit innovative. And then Bola is our Bola's really in charge at the end of the day mm-hmm. because she's the one that, you know, signs all the checks and makes sure that uh, you know, Bill and I aren't off doing all sorts of uh, crazy things. And I will tell you Bola will Bola knows I can easily be distracted by, you know, shiny objects and uh, colorful balloons and lollipops and ice cream. And Bola is able to reel me back in and make sure that we have a real business that functions at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and, yes. and it's I'm glad you mentioned that because actually I was I, I had not forgotten about her. And I did, there is some specific questions that I did want to ask. But since you brought that up, I will say this, that. You, and you can respond. What was it like for you as both a controller? So that's looking backwards, right? And then now a CFO looking forward and you had the skill set and some of the prerequisite experiences that has kind of set you up for the role that you're in now. But how have you been able to reconcile that focus, right? Because before you had to look back. Now you're, you're constantly looking forward while keeping these other two guys in check. So what's that like? Yeah. So interestingly, I say, even though um, I joined Mancini with the controller title, I've always acted a role above. I think even before I stepped into a management slash leadership position. So when I was a project accountant, I was always looking forward. I think one of the things I'm extremely passionate about is project managers fully understanding, not just where they are to date, but where are we going, right? Using the data that we've seen happen on your projects, how can we make sure that your projects finish on time, on budget, with profit? And so, you know, joining as controller, I had the opportunity to one, just fully understand the firm. How was this firm reporting finances? How are we handling our day-to-day? How are we using the data you know, from a look back period to help inform the decisions that we were making. And so I think I've always just brought that strategy. And so after a year, Christian, Bill and I were just like, okay, enough of this controller title. You're really, you know, operating at a CFO level. You truly are strategic business partner. You're keeping us on track. You see the vision of where we're trying to take the firm. We appreciate everything. that you are saying when it comes to the numbers. And I think also just, you know, breaking things down in ways an architect or a designer can understand, right? Speaking in their language, knowing how to present that data to them so they understand our position at any point in time was key to, you know, my promotion, you know? So big difference. I mean, you know, I was fortunate to be able to make that jump really quickly in a year. I would say controllers now, you know, the role of a controller and the role of a CFO is constantly changing. I'm I'm sure you've heard this, you know, there's a transformation happening in the role where controllers are not just reporting on history, right? They're being challenged to think about their roles and positions better and how they can really add value in their current position. So for me, it's been fun. It's been a ride. It's been a, a huge lesson, right? I became CFO and then the following year we jumped into a pandemic. And so, you know, hooray for me, first time CFO and having to lead a company through a huge global crisis. 
Yeah. Bola has a great way of, like she mentioned, it's really true of taking things in a way where we can understand them as architects. Not that we're all not smart people. Um, you know, we, we're yeah. all pretty smart, but I'm an incredibly visual person. Like if stuff isn't color coded, so I, I, you know, if I see a sheet with a bunch of numbers, my eyes glaze over. And so Guilty. one of the things I'm very grateful for Bola over is, yeah, we're, listen, we're at the end of the day, we're creative people. So yeah, she has a great way of explaining things and putting things into a way that we can understand very easily, which is great. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, when, as I heard Bolanley talk and, and, and explain the situation, I've always been told this and, and I've heard this expression several times is that your gift makes room for you. And clearly her gift has made room for her at Mancini Duffy. And, and she is making a tremendous, you know, she's making a tremendous difference within your organization. So I appreciate you sharing that. I appreciate that. that. Christian, Bill, you hear that? <laughs> I, I, I agree with all of it. So. Of course. Yeah. So now you guys, not one to let grass grow under your feet. I mean, all of you guys have decided that it's one thing to just run a successful design firm in probably the greatest city in, in the world, right? I mean, and I'm, I'm biased that like you guys, I come from North Jersey too. So, you know, New York City is near and dear to my heart. And so I, I get it, but that's not enough for you guys. You guys have decided that, you know, I mean, Christian, you're out here starting podcasts. You know, you have the Anti-Architect Podcast, which is a great podcast, by the way. And uh, you guys have Thank also you. created a product. It's called the, the Tool Belt. And I certainly want you guys to talk a little bit about, you know, deciding and, and seeing a need within the industry and saying, you know what, we can fill that. We're not going to wait for some tech folks out, out West to do it. We're going to come up with it ourselves and develop a tool that we see will, will not only allow us to benefit from it, but that we can make available to other organizations and other design firms. So I would love for you first, let's just talk about that. I do, I do want to get your quick thoughts on the Anti-Architect podcast and your biggest takeaway from doing that, because that's going to lead into something else I want to share. But in the meantime, I want to talk about the tool belt. And uh, if you guys, I don't know if that's patent pending or not, but if you guys could just give us Sure. Give the audience kind of a cliff note version of what the tool belt is. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the origin of the tool belt started from an early strategic planning exercise that we had done, as a matter of fact, with someone from the Zawai group many, many years ago, Ted Majeka, who's retired Ted from, from Zawai. <laughs> and uh, he was doing some strategic planning for us when we had done our initial ownership transition to myself and Bill and Bola. And we, and some others as well as uh, at the firm, which I do want to mention, Scott Harrell and Jessica Amato as well, uh, who are also owners of the firm. And we did the strategic planning. And one of the things we spoke about was, what are we going to do for thought leadership? What are we going to do for to kind of push the industry forward? And one of the ideas that I had had was I wanted to start an R&D lab, an R&D essentially uh, group within the firm, then we could pick a few things that we knew were lacking in our profession, and we could maybe develop products for them or what, whatever it might have been, whether it was a product or write papers or talk about it. And it initially started with 3D printing. We were going to 3D print parts of our projects, some, some furniture. And somewhere along the line, a couple of geniuses that exist at the firm, this guy, Michael Kipfer and Jeff Anderson, they came along and we really began to develop this software, which is patent pending called the Tool Belt. And essentially what it is, is it's a virtual reality rendering engine. 
So as a designer works in Rhino, which is a, a computer program that many designers use, or Revit, which is the really the preferred architectural platform right now, our software is a bolt-on to that. And as a designer is working, our software is creating a virtual reality experience at the exact same time that the designer is designing. So with a click of a button, a, a client can jump into their model whether that's putting on a virtual reality headset or doing it in a multiplayer version that we've adapted for when COVID happened so that you didn't have to be in our office or having a headset on. But it works best with the headset in virtual reality. So a designer's working and let's say they're designing a restaurant and that the client comes into our office, they put that headset on and they're immediately immersed into their Revit model or their Rhino model. It's not any extra work for the designer because of the patent-pending software that we've developed. It's essentially taking that Revit model and it's reducing the polygons, it's taking the materials, it's building the instructions to make it its own custom VR model on the other end in the rendering software. So it's a very simultaneous click of a button and you're in your model. And from there, the end user, whether that's a restaurateur or an office or a multifamily developer or you name the kind of operating room we did recently. A doctor can come in and look look around that operating room, can make changes to that operating room, can change the materials, can move the equipment around, can measure all of the parts and pieces to it. And it provides instantaneous feedback to us as the designer. So what I always say is we can do what a normal architect does in three weeks, we can do in three hours. And honestly, at this point, I think we can do it in about an hour because of that process. So that design process takes an end user immediately into their work. And it's, a, it's not iterative. It's not, we're going to get back to you in a week or two weeks, and we're going to show you another version of it. We can get back to you within seconds. And it's just worked out really, really well for us. And it's, a, it's something that we're trying to take to market in the coming year as its own product. Wow. And that's exciting. I, I love hearing things like that because if nothing else, you probably give uh, hope to other design firm owners that you know they may have some idea that they have cobbled together in the in the back of their design studio, and they they always thought, well, this is just for us. But in reality, that you know there may be a whole market out there for something that they've been using on their own for quite some time now. How did you? I mean, you created this. I mean, you. There were just some people sitting around saying, hey, we, we need this or <laughs> wait, how, did, how did you kind of test that out? That's the exciting part I want to learn more about. I think it was a little, it was a little more than that. I mean, yeah. I, I'll give my friend uh, Christian there a little credit. It was when we, one of the things when we bought the firm, um, we wanted to make sure that there was space for everybody to, you know, they come up with ideas and we'd always be receptive to it. And one of, one of the guys was like, hey, Christian, why don't you give us your office so we can do a bunch of, you know, stuff in there. And he's like, sure. So he came out and sat sat on the floor with the rest of us and, uh, you know, gave, gave up his office. And that was actually our first design lab, which is now like, you know, really the focal point of our office. And Randy, about- that's, um, that's the garage photo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that okay. Christian's okay. office. Yeah, that's the, that's yeah. the start of it. Yeah. That's it. Okay. All Bill, right. as you're I love saying. that. I, no, no, I was just a real, really, by, I think that, you know, by making room for and listening to people, which is intentional on all of our parts to listen to people and listen to their ideas and you know, give people an opportunity. If somebody has a crazy idea, why not give them a little bit of time, give them a little bit of money and see what happens. And, um, you know, some great things can happen as we Christian just elaborated to. And I think for me, yeah. you know, 
from the outside in. What I really love about our the tool belt slash design lab is the fact that it's not just for the architect or the designer. So anyone in our company can go in there, me, the CFO, I can, if I have an idea, I can go in there and want either check it out or brainstorm with the folks who are in there. And our goal really is for everyone to understand what that room is, understand what the tool belt is, whether you are the CEO or president or you are in office services, you know, kind of just understand what that room can do for you. And I think for me, just seeing how much it has grown, I can walk into that room today, you know, the lab today, and they have just gone miles, miles from, you know, when I was there the prior week. And so it just fosters engagement right? You're fostering a culture where your ideas are listened to, your ideas are honored. It's incredible for nurturing our, our people. Yeah. Well, I mean, and clearly you guys take this really seriously because as I kind of scrolled through the, the list of all your people, which by the way, I might add as a former recruiter back in the day, that was like heresy to put all your people on the website, but I'm seeing more and more firms are being bold like that to put all their folks on the website. And I think it's a testament to a firm and their culture. I think it also shows the changing of the guard in the industry as a whole, right? From a, an executive search standpoint and all that. But I say all that to say that I noticed that your organization, like I couldn't put my thumbprint on any one type of individual. You look, look like you got a like the United Nations is represented by your company. I mean, you have a little bit of everybody from everywhere. And I know diversity is a big, is an important metric and an important thing for Mancini Duffy. You guys have essentially in just a few years, totally transformed the culture of this organization. Not that it was bad before Christian took over, but it is fundamentally different now. And I mean, not that you guys have to take credit for that, but what do you think has been the secret sauce in how Mancini Duffy has been able to iterate and to, you know, transform themselves into this new type of design firm that others can aspire to and look at and say, I want to be like that. I mean, a lot of, you know, a lot of the hiring. Yeah. I mean, I'll I'll start everybody, you know, chime in, but, you know, on my end, you know, initially when, when took over, I was heavily involved in a lot of the hiring and, you know, I have, I've always said that I would rather, I generally know pretty quickly if it's somebody I want to spend time with and I want to work with. And I think it's a matter of finding people that are genuine people, that are people who aren't afraid to be themselves, whatever that is. If you're, you know, you're like me or not like me, who cares? But as long as you're yourself. And I think from there, listen, we're in New York City. We're fortunate. There's a lot of very talented people in all aspects of our profession. And there's a lot of them, you know, from a personality standpoint that are very talented, but might not be the right fit. So we were fortunate enough to be able to bring in people, even when the prior leadership group was here, that we, we felt kind of matched the right type of personality that we wanted. And through those people, then have those people also start to bring in people, whether it's their friends or, you know, start bringing them in on the hiring process. We have people right now who, who have basically redone our whole entire talent and hiring process to a different platform that's been great in bringing in different people. And I'll say that we, you know, as far as diversity goes, we've, we never set out to you know, a specific metrics of diversity along the way. But we did set out, I think, early on was to create a culture that had people that wanted to be there and create a unique culture 
for an example, you know, my wife worked as a designer and she quickly left design because when we had kids, it was very difficult for her to work that kind of job as a designer and find a firm that she could work at because it was so demanding in terms of hours and the amount of time you had to put in and you always had to be at work. Things may have changed a bit since the pandemic, although maybe physically you don't have to be in the office, but you've still got to do put in the amount of work. And so when I started, I, I said, I wanted to attract working mothers to our company because I knew what a pain it was for my wife. You know, and ultimately it worked out. She went on to a different profession. But it was those kind of examples that I think endeared us. If you had a special hours that you wanted to work or a way that you wanted to work, family is extremely important to us. We all have families. We all have young kids, or at least our kids were young when we started this whole thing. They're getting older now at this point. But we want working mothers. We want families to be part of this. We want people to really, truly enjoy and have a real work-life balance. And I think that just being genuine attracted the type of people that similar to the way we are. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the beauty of, of having you know, a firm as diverse as ours is just diversity in, in ideas, right? And in things that can really help push our firm forward, you know, push the ideas or projects that we're, the kinds of projects that we do, the kinds of clients we attract. It's beautiful for us to see the effects of having such a diverse workforce show up in all different aspects. You know, honestly, if Christian was not flexible with the mom, I was a new mom when I joined, I think my kids were like four and two. That was a priority for me. And if the company wasn't going to afford me that flexibility, I would, I most likely would not have been here. Right. So things like that were really important to me really important to us now as leaders in terms of how we're growing our people. And like you said, I just want to go back to the thing you said earlier about getting out the way. So we're not the type of leadership that just sits there and says, all ideas come from us, all policies come from us. You know, the fact that we were able to pull ourselves out of the talent process and have, you know, these two incredible folks who are full-time studio leaders you know, express this idea of really wanting to revamp our talent process and how we bring people on. We were like, sure, you know, we'll get out your way. And so it's really leaning onto people's strengths and skill sets and nurturing the things that, you know, other passions they might have has just allowed our firm be a richer company, richer in people, you know, all over. So I think that's what I notice when I think about, you know, how diverse we are. Yeah. Wow. I love that. I mean, it, it is refreshing to hear. And it, and it sounds like you guys are really practicing what you preach when it comes to giving everyone at the organization the flexibility to be the best version of themselves instead of you know having to join a firm and then be like everybody else. And I think that's important. And I've seen that slow change in this industry over the past five or six years. And of course, I think the pandemic has hastened that change, right? And I think anybody that has come out of this pandemic over the past two and a half years and has done it successfully is going to be stronger and will benefit long-term because of what all of us had to go through over the past couple of years in this industry. So I'm excited about the future. I don't know about you guys, but I would suspect that you you guys are pretty excited as well. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Listen, for all the all, all the bad stuff about it, to your point, you know, I mean, the pandemic definitely let everybody understand that we're all people 
I'm not just the same folks that come to work. And, you know, we do a, a monthly town hall in our office where we all get together and share information about the firm and various themes. And one of the things we were doing was doing it virtually, sometimes several nights a week. And it was funny, the thing, and, and sometimes you kind of run out of things to talk to. So it just, you know, one of us would, I had a habit of just kind of picking up people and just like, hey, tell me what's behind you and start asking questions. And before you know, you started to learn some things. Like there was one guy who was like, you know, has a, he had a video game alias where he goes on and stuff like that. And all sorts of cool things you'd learn that you generally, you probably wouldn't have learned before. And I think as a result of that, one of the, you know, one of the good things to come from this is everybody's more open to, you know, knowing more about like, what, what do they do? Like, what are these people about beyond coming to work and drawing curtain wall details for, you know, eight hours? <laughs> yeah. And that's the beauty of it, right? Because a lot of times you're, you're either kneecap to kneecap with somebody or across the cubicle and you think you know them, but then you really don't know them until you really connect with them like that. 100%. And a lot of times you, you gain new insights. So, yeah. So I love that. Okay. So I got to ask this question. This is for Christian because I'm a hardcore podcaster. I've been podcasting since 09. So I've been doing this for a long time. I really... How did the Anti-Architect come about? And that, that is the podcast. It's called the Anti-Architect Podcast with Christian Giordano. And we'll, we'll be sure to, to link to it in the show notes. But I'm always excited when I see people adopt podcasting as a way to, to share their story, to share their truth, whatever that might be. But, but what was the initial impetus for you to do the Anti-Architect Podcast, Christian? So one of the things that came up a lot when we one of the things we do really well i think at mancini is our social media i get compliments from many many other firms saying that our social media um, really is is top notch a lot of their firms uh, you know want to model themselves after the way we do it we make it a lot about our people less so about our buildings or our projects i mean it's really about you know kind of seeing inside you know the, the each individual that's part of the company and and the fun that we have along the way and kind of the you know, how we make the sauce behind the scenes kind of thing. And one of the, when we were talking about, well, what, what should I do? You know, this whole idea of uh, social media and for myself and my personal brand. And I kept saying, I don't have a personal brand. I, I, I'm not good at taking pictures of myself and posting them on the internet. It's just not, unless I have something concrete to talk about, I don't really want to be out on the internet. And I'd rather just talk about Mancini Duffy. And so kind of spitballing some different ideas, um, some people had suggested, well, maybe you, you should write some articles. And I'm not good at writing. I can barely compose emails. But I am good at talking. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and I am good at having conversations with people. And I thought, okay, well, if I could do a podcast, then probably I could... Let me see what I could make it about. And trying to come at the industry being a little bit more progressive and a little bit critical of the industry, right? So if I can interview people about how architects work, what we do well, what we don't do well, shared experiences, whether that's with clients or contractors or consultants or anyone that kind of touches our industry, maybe other architects, designers, architecture firms or students can learn from you know, this conversation and maybe that could help propel the industry forward a little bit and kind of get out of its stuck nature in the way that it deals with, whether it's people or clients or technology. And so that's really the origins of it. And it's been almost two years of doing episodes and uh, 50 some odd episodes later. And it's really, really caught on. I am always shocked when I go places and people say, I listen to your podcast. It, 
it takes me back. I, a lot of times I say, why, why, <laughs> you know, or I, you know, <laughs> I can't listen to the sound of my own voice. So how could you kind of thing? But at the end of the day, I think it's, it's a source of education for, for people and it's a good conversation. And we try to have real conversations about, you know, what this industry needs to do to improve and what's great about the industry. What's great about the education system? What needs to change about the education system? What's great about you know certain firms when they hire and what are what's not so great about them? And we try to just air it all out and have a conversation and, and be respectful and go from there. And so we've got some big plans coming up for the the next you know season of of the podcast. And it's uh it's exciting. It's a totally new way of communicating, at least for me. And it's uh it's definitely gotten me and ultimately the firm out there. Yeah. I love that. I mean, that's that in and of itself. And that, that just that last little bit is important because I'm always trying to convert design firms to consider doing a podcast, right? So I do a lot of podcast strategy consulting around that whole space. It's like, hey, it's one way to extend your brand to the world, but also it's a great way to extend your brand to your internal team from a personal and professional development standpoint. So I'm always going to get on my soapbox when it comes to that. But it sounds like you, like me, find that podcasting is a great canvas to exchange ideas in ways that sometimes you just can't even in writing. And uh, I will say this to you as just as a, as a longtime podcaster, how you sound to yourself is not how you sound to other people because people hear you differently than you hear yourself. So just, just take that with a little bit of comfort knowing that, yeah, you might sound like you, you know, you're screeching, you're crawling down a, a chalkboard, but honestly, you don't sound like that to other people. So just uh, let that be a comforting thought for you. I'm glad to hear that. Thank, thank God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So I also want to mention this because, uh, Bolanli, I, I know that, that you, you work on some projects. You're originally from Nigeria. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay. And you also are working on, you have, like, so it's not enough for you to be a CFO of Mancini Duffy. You're, you're, you, you, you are dealing with, and you found three other organizations. So she builds waves, she builds lives and reach Nigeria. So if it, I mean, like, when do you sleep? I mean, you've got kids and all this other stuff. When, when do you find time to rest? We all have no idea. No oh my God. And I go to bed so early. I am in bed before 10 PM. Okay. So I'm sleeping well. And I also authored a book recently. Yes, it's about I heard about the old book. called Build Boldly. Yes. So clearly, I mean, in good company, we're all like multi-potentialites, right? We're always doing multiple things. So, so yeah, I am really passionate about giving back, generous with time, with information. I'm passionate about educating people once you know something. If mm -hmm. be it your peers, be it people in your organization, or if you have the capacity to outside of your organization, you know, if you, if you know something, make it easier for the next person coming. And so She Builds Lives is my nonprofit in Nigeria. We do work around education in low-income communities in Nigeria. So we have, I have a school out there. I have about 200 kids. It's an elementary school in a floating community called Makoko, Nigeria. We also just recently built a learning center in another state in Nigeria in an internally displaced people's camp. So we're supporting children in that community, providing them with lessons and educational material uh, while they're going to school. And um, which she builds waves and she builds money. Again, they're all educational slash resource platforms. 
She Builds Waves helps women within the industry across departments. As I said, I'm, I'm an ally in the industry, but sometimes we're overlooked in terms of the support as we're navigating our career paths in here, right? And so how can you create a platform that allows women uh, find support and find fulfillment in their careers along the way? She Builds Money is my financial literacy firm for small firm owners, right? So how do you take these big financial terms and make it simple, keep it simple, stupid for small firm owners to understand, right? So as Bill has said, we're all in business and we want to be financially successful. How do we make sure you are by breaking down, you know, things that you need to know, financial habits that you need to put into your business. So it's not just a hobby. So yes, I, it sounds like I don't (laughs) have time to sleep, but I do. (laughs) It's all about capacity and understanding what season you're in, right? So not all balls are are being juggled at the same time. Right now, this is a big growth year for Mancini. So a lot of my efforts have just been focused on what we are doing at the company. And then of course, there's support in, in the other platforms that I have. So we've purely in 22 just been putting out resources. I haven't been able to host any events because all my focus is on Mancini right now. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, and I think you guys are really walking the walk within your organization, it sounds like. And you probably are, and maybe don't realize this, a a sense of encouragement. And um, for some of the younger people that are in your firm, not that you guys aren't young to begin with, but there are some people younger than you guys that are just starting out in their careers and can use each of you as examples of how this industry has a way of giving back. Am I right? And, and when you think of it that way, that bodes well for you for long-term success within Mancini Duffy for creating an environment where all of your employees can really grow into being the best version of themselves. And I, you know, I applaud all of you for the work that you're doing in this industry to advance the design industry, to advance some of the causes that are near and dear to your heart. And, and just, just to amplify voices that need to be amplified. I mean, it was, I think it would have been unheard of for a design firm leader to, to do a podcast 10 or 15 years ago. And, and now look where, where things are. And, and just in all of the work that you guys are doing, I, I really appreciate the example that you're setting. I want to end with this thought, and I would love to just get, you know, what you guys think. You don't have to give away all the secret sauce, but what's next for you guys? You guys have covered a lot and you're doing a lot in and of itself on a regular basis. And by the way, you're out there designing new buildings, doing adaptive reuse of existing structures, which is really important in, in a time and space where, you know, we don't always have extra space to be building brand new buildings. So, you know, you have to go in and, and make do with what you have. What's next for Mancini Duffy? Well, we're out of room on Earth, so it could only be architecture <laughs> on Saturn. We're going to so, designing so you're teaming up with Elon is what you're telling me, huh? You're teaming up with Elon. Right on. <laughs> Absolutely. Except he's thinking too small with Mars. I'm thinking so. Right. Saturn was always the coolest one when you had to do the little thing in science project. Now, I, w- I would say for yeah. us, in all honesty, I-, I feel like we've just begun. You know, yes, it sounds like we've accomplished a lot, but I think in our minds, we're just now figuring out what we're doing, quite frankly. And every day is a learning experience for us. Every day we become better and better leaders, I think. We've made plenty of mistakes along the way, trust me. And from those mistakes, we are beginning to figure out what our next steps are. And I can tell you that a lot of it has to do with growth. 
we want to grow the company substantially, whether that's through other acquisitions or through uh, natural growth, opening up other offices. We have really expanded our footprint out of the New York uh, metropolitan area, let's call it, and doing much more national work. We've broadened our horizons in terms of the market sectors. Mancini had never done a restaurant you know, five years ago, and now we're doing 30 restaurants. Mancini had never done healthcare years ago, and we've got you know, operating rooms and surgery centers, manufacturing facilities, super high-end corporate interiors. You name it, we've got a lot of project diversity along the way. We've got other products from our design lab that we are beginning to kind of formulate what we're going to do next, including a housing project. So there's a lot that we have going on. It's just, uh, and we're just starting. So I think the, you know, the pandemic, in a sense, brought us a little closer together. And as Bola said, this has been a tremendous growth year for us. And we see this kind of as the springboard for the next 10 years of growth. And, and when you interview us in 10 years, you're going to really hear some accomplishments. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Bill, do you want to you add anything to that? I mean, I don't know how to really follow that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, listen, I, I agree with all of it. Yeah, the, the goal is to not stop here. Like Christian said, we've, it's been, you know, it's obviously been a weird couple of years. Um, you blink your eyes and, you know, we're, we're at this point, we've owned the firm for several years. And I think it is great that we've, while we've made some mistakes over the years, like Christian said, none of them have been fatal, thank God. And they've all been things that we can learn from. And, you know, my, my dad would always say, it's okay to make mistakes, just don't do it twice. So I think we've yeah. learned from those and yeah, we're, we're, we're set to grow for sure. Awesome. Yeah, and I think awesome. for I us, um, and I'll just add a point on people, right? So I think for us, it is the continued pursuit of raising more leaders within the organization, right? So we are, we're not leaders that are looking to hover over people, but leaders that are looking to make sure that while people are with us long-term, short-term, you know, what is the experience that they have at, at Mancini? And how can we make sure that from start to the end, they are growing within our organization, they are exposed to new ways of thinking, they are looking for opportunities to help them transform in their careers. And so that part is really important to us. And the way you do that is our, our job is literally shepherds, right? We are making sure that <laughs> anyone who comes within our organization, they are really reaching and leaning into their fullest potential while they're with us. Yeah. I love that image of a shepherd. I, I, that's perfect. I think we can wrap it up with that. And I, I certainly want to encourage anybody listening to this podcast, if you are in the New York City area, especially, but even if you aren't, because this this world has gotten a lot smaller nowadays with the interwebs and all that good stuff, you should, you know, when you're in a design professional and you're looking to find a good home, you know, you can do okay here at Mancini Duffy. I want to encourage you to reach out to them at ManciniDuffy.com. That's M-A-N-C-I-N-I-D-U-F-F-Y.com. We'll be, we'll be sure to put all, all the links to all three of these wonderful individuals, as well as a link to the website, a link to Christian's podcast, and just everything that, that Mancini Duffy is doing and everything that has been discussed on today's episode. But Christian, Bill, Bolanli, I want to thank you guys all for, for joining us on this Wide Letter podcast today. We really appreciate it. And by the way, I, I, I do want to mention to those that are listening, if you subscribe to this Wide Letter or you read uh, Civil Plus Structural, you've probably seen Christian's name and, and some of the other folks from Mancini Duffy 
in some of our newsletters, even though Christian said he doesn't like the right, they have written some stuff that's out there <laughs> on Inswag publications. So I want to encourage you to check those out and we'll be sure to link, link to those as well in the show notes. But guys, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. And I'm really, I'm really glad that, uh, I mean, you were already on my radar screen, but I'm thankful for Lauren Janest and uh, the folks over at Brand Groupies for uh, reconnecting us, if you will, and making this possible. So thank you all so much for, for joining me today on this Wag Letter podcast. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Randy, thanks so much. Absolutely. Well, folks, that's another episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. To learn more about one of the oldest newsletters in the design industry, visit zweiggroup.com. You can read articles online, listen to this podcast, and sign up for a free subscription to the newsletter and have it delivered right into your email inbox every Monday morning. Sign up today. For more info about Zweig Group's advisory services or any Zweig Group publication, visit zweiggroup.com. You can subscribe to the Zweig Letter Podcast wherever you listen to it. And please consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and we'll see you with another episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast soon. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Zweig Letter Podcast. We hope that you can be part of elevating the industry and that you can apply our advice and information to your daily professional life. For a free digital subscription to The Zweig Letter, please visit thezweigletter.com slash subscribe to gain more wisdom and inspiration in addition to information about leadership, finance, HR, and marketing your firm. Subscribe today.